Well, if you would just stay standing with me as we join in a responsive reading. Today's passage reminds us that Jesus is coming again and that we are to be dutifully watching for the signs of his coming, but not out of fear, out of exuberance, for he brings with him the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. None of us knows the time or the day, so we must cling to his word, believe in his promises, and walk in faithfulness, despising sin and repenting of our own, longing for justice, praying for mercy and wisdom, and carrying the gospel to all nations and all people everywhere. So let us remind one another this morning that our king is coming and that uh, we are responsible for encouraging one another to be vigilant and full of faith. So if you would, just join me when you see the word all on the screen. (coughs) We confess that too often our hearts are weighed down by the cares of this life and we are slaves to our various passions and pleasures and sin. We too easily live out our days as if in unbelief forgetting our trustworthy word and the promise of you coming again. But praise be to the Lord that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We will wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Purify us as a people for your own possession who are zealous for good works, teaching us to stay awake and to pray without ceasing as we prepare for Christ's return. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for these words. We thank you for your scriptures that, that point us to be able to say these sorts of things. That all things can, we can point to you. Everything is yours. The glory, the honor, the power, the dominion. And Lord, as we sang, we set our eyes upon you. Our prayer, our plea is that you would be our vision. That we would be able to see clearly as we think upon you. We think upon your son. He is glorious. He is wonderful. We love you, Lord, and we come to your word in need of it. Today, that we we don't come to your word uh, in any other posture other than receiving. Lord, help us prepare our minds, open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things here. Thank you for this time in music. Thank you for the gift of music that you give your church. We honor you, King of Heaven, and we ask for your presence. We ask for this food to feed our souls now. In your name, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 21. My name is Josh, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and it's a delight to be here with the family of God. And if you're visiting, welcome to Redeemer. We're glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Uh, We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke for some time now, and we're coming toward the end of it, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 21, and we're going to start reading in verse 8. We'll be in Luke 21, we'll be in verse 8. I'll give you a second to find it. Luke 21, verse 8, and Jesus said, see that you are not led astray. 
For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the, upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And this is where we'll be this morning. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. That's the word of God for us this morning. And we live in the last days. Uh, last week, last Sunday, we learned in verses 5 through 24 that during these last days, Jesus promised his disciples then and now that we will experience hard things. And some of those things are going to be common to all people, no matter who you are. It can be false messiahs and false gospels, political unrest, natural disasters, epidemics. Uh, but he also promised his disciples something very unique and specific to them. If you remember, it was persecution. Because the gospel is offensive, because of how Jesus speaks to our sin and even our punishment for our sin and our need for a Savior, there will be some who will intentionally try to shut down the gospel's spread. But even still, 
This is where we landed last week. Jesus challenged his disciples to cling to him, cling to Christ, and rest assured, for he is in control. Cling to Christ and rest assured, for Jesus is in control. That's where we were last week. We are in these last days now, but there is coming a day, a very specific day, when Jesus himself will return. And that is an essential part of what's going on in Luke chapter 21, and that's bigger than Luke chapter 21. That's an essential part of what's happening for what God has planned in the world. So whether today you're visiting and you are a Christian, whether you're a member of this church, you are a Christian, or maybe you're, you're coming here today and you're not a believer, you don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord I do want to say this, that this book, this, the Bible makes something very, very clear, and that is Jesus is coming again. He will absolutely, positively come back. See, he's already come once. He's already come once. He, he lived, he died, he got up out of the grave three days later, and then he ascended into heaven. But then he promised that he would come again. And here in the second half of Luke chapter 21, we see Jesus describing that day and starting in verse 25. Okay, so let, let's look there again, verse 25. Jesus speaking, he says, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And then he speaks to his disciples, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Okay, so I, I said this a little bit last week, but I want to say it again today. I think, I think, and some of you may disagree with me and that's okay. Uh, I think Jesus has changed the subject from the last days, where, where, we, where we are right now, to specifically the last day. That is, in verse 25, Jesus has shifted from talking about the interim period between his ascension and his return, to now specifically, or at least primarily, talking about his return itself. And so what the question we're asking is, what should we expect, not until his return, but what should we expect upon his return? Does that make sense? That's kind of the difference there, the dichotomy between verses 5 to 24 and verses 25 to, to 38. And we see that there are two main expectations. You see these in your notes, and they're pretty quick. Uh, number one, judgment. One of the things that we can expect on the actual day when Jesus comes to us again, we're going to see judgment. And then secondly, we're going to see redemption. So judgment and redemption. On the day when Jesus comes back, these two things are going to simultaneously occur. There's going to be judgment, and there's going to be redemption. Now, many of us may kind of talk about which one of those comes first. Will, will he redeem People before he judges people, will he judge people, will then people be redeemed? That's a separate conversation. But for now, what we can all say together is that what will, generally speaking, simultaneously occur, what is linked together when Jesus Christ comes back is going to be judgment and redemption. Now, let's look at the judgment first because that's what's given first in his paragraph here. Let's see how it's described. We see two basic signs. You see these as well in your notes. Number one, cosmic shock waves. Okay, we're going to see cosmic shockwaves, these unbelievable universal activity that's taking place. And secondly, we're going to see, uh, for those of you who like alliteration, this is for you, uh, human hysteria. Right? We're going to see some sort of human mankind madness. Okay? Things, people are going to kind of go crazy. Okay? And, and I mean that respectfully. I don't mean that uh, sheepishly. Okay, so cosmic shockwaves and human hysteria. 
when Jesus comes back, we're going to see the earth, the heavens, and even the stars do things that are absolutely terrifying. And, the, and it's going to be unique, because maybe you're asking, well, didn't we say that last week too? Didn't we say that's going to be kind of, we're going to see natural disasters happen here in the last days? Yes, we will, but what's the difference? I think it's, it's in terms of intensity. It's going to be worse. It's going to be exponentially worse. In fact, Revelation 16 gives an example of an earthquake, and you're thinking, well, how can an earthquake be a sign of Christ's return when we have earthquakes rather often in history? Well, it's going to be, as Revelation described, it's going to be one that you can't imagine. It's not going to be an earthquake in a city or a region. It's going to be an earthquake that sh- shakes the entire planet. That's the difference. You see the intensity change there, where, whereas earthquakes now are kind of a scene to show us that we're in the last days, that we're, at, we're living in a, li- a life as a consequence of the fall of the, since the be- very beginning of time. The difference will be the entire planet will see these chaotic things that we cannot possibly explain. Okay, so, and as you would expect then, that kind of leads, that's the cosmic side, the universal, the, the material, physical side. The other side of that coin will be that when that happens, people, humans are going to be at a loss, an absolute loss. That's what that word perplexity means. It literally means like pe- people will be at a loss. They, they won't be able to function. Uh, there will be a loss of sanity, but perhaps more importantly, there's going to be a loss of, of hope. And that's where I want us to to really think about this morning what's going on and what Jesus is doing. For many, the return, his actual literal return, will rapidly produce an extreme amount, a dire amount of despair. Despair. And and because of that, I want to say this. This is in your notes under the, the judgment section. The return of Christ will reveal pride and worldly hope. The return of Christ will reveal pride and worldly hope. Now, maybe you're looking at the text, and you're, you're maybe a skeptic at this point. Like, I don't see pride or worldly hope anywhere in there. How could you get that from this statement? Well, let's look at it. Let, let's think about it. When Jesus, when we see Jesus in the sky, it's going to be an incredible moment. When we see Jesus in the skies, it's going to turn everyone's heart inside out. It's going to genuinely showcase where your hope and my hope actually lie. See, when Jesus says this stuff about the sun and the moon and, and the stars, he's not only, he is definitely, he's surely describing literal cosmic activity that will take place. But he's also using popular Old Testament prophecies that describe humanity being judged for its wickedness. Okay, so this is a huge landmark statement. Really listen right here. In the Old Testament, the destruction of the universe is linked to judging evil in the world. Does that make sense? When the Old Testament talks about things like the sun and the moon and the stars falling apart, right adjacent to that statement is God judging evil in the world. Let me give you just one example. We have a slide for this. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. It says, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Now, that's pretty obvious, right? This, that there's some familiarity between what Jesus just said in Luke 21 and what Isaiah said 800 years before him in Isaiah chapter 13, right? So, th- so that's what's going on. But, but let's look at the next verse. Let's read the next slide here. Back in verse 10, for the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. And then look at verse 11. Right after that, no break, I will punish the world for its evil, God speaking, and the wicked for their iniquity. 
I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Do you see what Isaiah is doing? He is linking cosmic madness with human arrogance. See, at the very core of human nature is pride. At the very core of who I am is pride and independence. And I mean, what I mean by that is I'm my own boss. I can do what I want when I want to do it. And you have nothing to say about it. That's what my natural heart says. That's how often if, I, if I'm not in the word and with God, that's what I will do. That's how I will behave. And when that mantra rules a person's heart, all of his or her hope in, is in himself and in this world. So when someone is rejecting Jesus, the world and the things in it become way more important than they're intended to be. Does that make sense? When our hope is not in Christ, well, what's left to put our hope in? Ourselves. Right, so when we walk away from Jesus, the only place to be, the only place to hope, the only place to long is in here. Me. Me, me, me. And what Jesus is saying is that those who put their hope in the world, those who put their hope in themselves, will be found out and judged for their rebellion against him. Now, I know that's a very severe statement. I know it's a very harsh statement. And you probably, maybe some of you came down from Louisville to enjoy spring break, and you hear this guy screaming at you about the judgment at the end of the world. I understand this is intense. I understand this is weird. But this is where this church stands, is whatever this book says, we say. We say it. And we stick to it. We believe it. So is Jesus talking about a literal cosmic destruction? Is, are these things actually going to happen? Yes, he is. Other scriptures, like 2 Peter 3, for example, speak very literally about the destruction of this world. But Jesus is also saying that the universe's destruction is a symbol and a sign for God's final and forever judgment of evil and rebellion against him. When Christ returns, that will happen. Now let me say this as well. If that's the case, if judgment is absolutely going to happen for those who walk away from Christ, for those who do not know Christ, for those who have rejected him, I would beg you if, you, if that is you, to not do that. I, I, I would ask you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, that you would come to him so that this judgment does not come upon you because it will happen. It will absolutely come upon every human heart ever. And so if you believe that you, if you understand this God, this God of the heavens who made you, who created you with his very hands, he made and fashioned you, and that you and you understand, are starting to and beginning to understand that I walked away from that God. I walked away from this Creator, and I said I would rather do my own thing. And now you're beginning to understand more and more. Well, Jesus Christ has come. He has come to save me from myself. He's come to save me from my sin. If I turn from my wickedness, believe and trust in the salvation that Jesus Christ provides, He will forgive me of my sin. I'll be restored to my God, and I will not receive judgment. I'll instead receive redemption. I'll be saved. I'll be rescued forever. That is the gospel message. And if you do not know it, please embrace it for your sake and for the glory of God. Jesus speaks directly to his disciples in verse 28. You notice, for those of you who like to look at grammar, you look, look at the, the change of subject. It goes from third person to second person. He's talking about they, 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 them, them, them. And then he starts going to you, you, you. So in verse 28, he says, you know, when you raise up your heads, your redemption is drawing near. So Jesus is talking now to, to his disciples. Unlike those who have placed their hope in the world and in themselves, 
Jesus' followers will look at these things that are happening, these cosmic things that are happening in the world, and they'll know he's come to rescue us. He has come to rescue us. See, the judgment of the world is at the same time the redemption of the church. That's good. That's good news. So when all these crazy things are happening, the human heart is going to tend to want to faint in fear, but the spirit-renewed heart would say, joy, my Christ is here. My Christ is here. So for those of us whose eyes are fixed on Christ's return, for those who await him, the utter chaos of the end will actually, strangely, even be an encouragement for the saints. The, the, the wait will finally be over. We will be able to stand. What a day it will be. Okay, so Jesus continues in verse 29. He tells a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Pause right there. What is Jesus saying? No matter who you are or what you think about him, when he comes back, you'll know. That's what, just like when you look out on a tree after a long winter and you see leaves are starting to pop out, you're like, ah, spring is here. Ah, summer is right around the corner. I can't deny that. When a leaf is on a tree, it's true, right? Impossible to deny. In the exa exact same kind of way, when these things happen, oh, Christ is here. Christ is coming. He's coming. He's coming. See, I, I grew up in a, uh, in a Christian home. Can I tell you a story for a second? I grew up in a Christian home, and I can remember when I was a kid um, how often I wondered if Christ had returned that day, and I had, like, somehow missed it. And I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I, I can feel it. I, like, it's, it's this intensity. It's like it's, it's like it's an anxiety that I had. as a, uh, This was before cell phones, uh, and I was, like, like, middle school age. And this happened, I'm not joking, like, several, several times. I even called my dad's work, which uh, I was like, Dad, is my dad there? Uh, I was just so scared because I'd be home after school alone. And both of my parents wouldn't be home from work yet. And so I would wonder, were they raptured? Were they raptured? Because I didn't know where they were. They weren't, they're usually home about 5.15. It's, it's 5.50. What's going on? Did I, did I miss the boat? Right? So did Jesus come to get them, but he left me behind? You know, my heart was racing. I'm not kidding. My heart would be absolutely, I mean, I'd be panting. And, you know, we grew up in this, um, this single-wide uh, three-bedroom trailer, and, you know, if, if we're, uh, you're in, you know, here's the front door kind of on the right side of the trailer, and then you walk in on the, all the way in the back left, there was like this door, and out that, there's like a diamond window, kind of like you see in kitchens sometimes, and uh, I could kind of like look up and see the sky, and you know, some of these days would be beautiful sunsets. Now I can like enjoy them, but then I was terrified. I'd be like, there's like pink strands and, and orange strands, and blue, and I'm colorblind anyway, and so, I, and I would look at all these beautiful things that are happening, like, he, there's where he came, that's where he went, he went right by my house, he came and got Niceville, but he left me, that's where I grew up, you know, and so, I mean, I would be freaking out, I'm serious, I'm dead serious, I would be freaking out, did he leave me, did he leave me, because what it led to was a deeper thought, if I'm still here, and my parents, and my brother are gone, uh, then they must be believers, and I'm not. And so what it led to do is it led me to doubt my salvation. And listen, all because my parents had a long day at work, right? It's kind of ridiculous. It, it, it is, and, and oh, how I wish I would have known this parable. Why do I tell you this story? Because this little parable shuts down that little kid's anxiety. Because when Christ comes, we're not going to be asking, did he come today? Well, no. It'll be instant. It'll be 
absolutely undeniable Christ is here. Christ is here. You with me on that? That's so important. We don't have to wonder, did, did, oh, oh, did he come? To, uh, I need to live right today in case he comes today. Your salvation is secure on the cross, not by how you obey or not obey. Okay, first of all, Christ is the one who finally satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. And on that, Christ, he enables you to obey. You don't have to earn your salvation in God. He earned it for you. And when he comes back, you'll know. You'll know. We'll all know. Christ has come, and what a day it will be. Right before he finishes his sermon, he gives some instruction in verse 34 through 36. But look at verse 33. This is a landmark truth, and I think this is the link between verses, uh, the signs before that he just gave and the promise or the instructions that he gives in a second. Verse 33, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And, and we could just as accurately translate, my, my words will never pass away. It's, a, it's an emphatic negation. It's an emphatic no. My words will never, ever pass away. This is an important part of our notes here, too, that the words of Christ are the anchor for our eternal hope and obedience. The words of Christ, or another way to say that, if you want to put this in parentheses, the promises of Christ are the anchor for our eternal hope and obedience. This is what separates the saved from the unsaved, believers from unbelievers, eternal security from worldly security. Those who believe in what Jesus says those who believe in what Jesus promises will be saved in the end. You see, believing and living according to Jesus' words is a mark of trusting in him. It's a mark. If I believe what Jesus says, that shows me that I believe in him himself. The truest measure of a Christian is, is quite simple. Do I depend on what Jesus says? Am I hanging upon his words? See, because when, when our human nature beckons us tempts us, when it encourages us toward independence and arrogance, that's what, my hum that's what my heart wants to do. I'm independent, and I'm good to go. I need to be, I'm everything I need to be. That's what my human heart will say. The Spirit does exactly the opposite. It beckons us, it teaches us, it sh He shows us to depend on what Jesus says. Because right now, as you look around, you might be thinking, is this whole Christian thing worth it? Is it worth it to go back to my workplace tomorrow, into the battle zone. Is, it, is this whole thing worth it? But this little verse links that for us. It, 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 it settles it for us. If Christ is right, if he's true, if he's trustworthy, if his words never fail, then absolutely he is worth every ounce of my dependence, every ounce of my hope, and he becomes every ounce of my joy. And his word no longer is an obligation it's a desire, if his word is true. So when worldly despair comes knocking on our door, and it certainly will, the question must be, is Christ trustworthy? And if the answer is yes, then we persevere. We persevere. Okay, so we see him instruct them finally in verses 34 to 36. Let's read just the first few verses for now. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So even though Jesus has made a compelling case for the certainty of his return, he still warns his disciples, hey, watch out. Hey, pay attention to yourself. Hey, beware. And to me, there's no doubt this is a warning. 
Jesus knows that though he is certainly coming back, there will be endless temptations to forget him. Endless temptations to absolutely forget him. And he uses some startling imagery right here. That word dissipation, when I first read that, I was like, I have no idea what that word means. You need to kind of dig around and look at what it means. It means to be staggering. Uh, and that like, not and staggering drunk, that is. What, what, what it means to be like, you're so wasted that you can't like walk straight, you can't see, you can't really do anything. And so those two words are kind of a playoff of each other, staggering and drunkenness together. And so the obvious question that pops out here is, uh, is Jesus saying getting drunk is wrong? Is, is getting drunk wrong? Yes. <laughs> yes, getting drunk is wrong. If you're getting hammered, you should stop getting hammered. Why? Let me be clear. Let me be super clear. Not because staying sober saves you. That's not why you should stop getting drunk. The gospel message isn't what you can do for God. You staying sober doesn't earn your way to heaven. The gospel message is categorically what God has done for you. Amen? That's what the gospel message is about. So, if it's Christ who saves me, it's Christ's obedience, it's Christ's righteousness, then what's the big deal about my actions? What's the big deal about me getting drunk? Well, the answer in this text, the desire to get drunk shows that I've lost sight of Christ's return. It's kind of a unique, I mean, like, you know, half the time, I, if, if you're having a drink, you're not even thinking about Christ's return. So what, what's, the, what's the connection here? Well, the person who is willingly losing mental control reveals their willingness to be distracted. Another way to say it is that the end no longer controls the right now. If Christ's return is in my sights, if, I can, if I'm thinking of Christ coming back, suddenly I'm less, less willing to do many things. Not just drunkenness, but several things. And that's why Jesus, I think, adds any cares of this life. And see, the best way to ask this is, what has dominated my thoughts this week? Just think for a second. What has absolutely dominated my thoughts this week? What has been your biggest over-the-forehead distraction this week? See, these sorts of questions, they kind of need to like be on the top of our journals or on a little piece of paper that we see. What is removing my gaze today? What is removing my gaze? Because once we realize where our focus has been, God is often showing us where our idols are. Whatever has absolutely train wrecked my thoughts, and most likely my joy, also shows me the, where my heart is tending to believe a lie. I'm going down this trail, I'm chasing something that I want or that I need, and it's a lie that I believe. And Jesus is saying right here, remember who his audience is. It's his people. He's saying, be careful. He, be careful so that these distractions don't weigh you down because when I come, and this language is startling, it's going to be sudden. It's going to be like a trap. Think of like, you know, th when you're out in the woods and there's a bear trap out there, when do you notice there's a bear trap there? When it's on your leg. It's too late. It's too late. So don't let the cares of this light be so, so distracting to you that the, no the moment that you realize that you're distracted is when there's a claw chomping your leg off. That's the severity of the statement. Don't let the cares of this life, any care of this life, get so into your heart and, and just kind of bait you away. That's where Christ's return is nowhere to be found in your 
heart, mind, and meditation. And so how do we do that? That's, that's where I came at, at the end of verse 35 this week as I was studying. I'm like, okay, Jesus, I, I see that, but I'm frustrated because I don't have the power to do that. So how do I fight this? What's the weapon? What's the weapon here? Well, verse 36 answers that fu- fu- fully. He says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that, you're gonna, that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So, so Christ's final plea, final plea is to stay awake. Now, another fun way to translate this, accurate way to translate this is, hey, lose sleep at all times. Lose sleep. The, the, the word itself is to, is to be unable to get any sleep. That's fascinating to me. You know how that feels. It's 2 a.m., you're tossing and turning. You cannot sleep. And so the Christian's diagnosis, you see this in your notes under redemption or preparation. The Christian's diagnosis, what I should be able to read in you, what you should be able to read in me is spiritual sleeplessness. Spiritual sleeplessness. When you peer into my life, you ought to find a man sleepless, even edgy for Christ's return. Like I'm waiting and I'm making decisions according to Christ's return. Now, let me bring that honest elephant in the room. How in the world is that possible? And the most succinct way I could find a way to ask this question is, how do we live ordinary lives, everyday average Joe lives like we do, expecting the extraordinary return that's being described here, Right? I mean, I got to go to Walmart on Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like I, I had to change a, a poop diaper yesterday, several of them, right? So how do we do this? How do we live ordinary lives expecting an extraordinary return? And Christ's answer is prayer. Prayer. The most practical, tangible thing we can do is pray. That will prepare us for Christ's return. I think it's so interesting that this is the last thing that Jesus says in the temple. The last thing he does before he goes off with his, his 12 alone, he says, hey, pray, pray, pray. That's what he has to say. And so we can use this analogy, and I had a little bit of fun with this. It's a little high on the cheese meter. But prayer is the caffeine for the soul. Prayer is the caffeine for the soul. What's going to get you tossing and turning for Christ's return? It's going to be prayer. Prayer is the caffeine of the soul. What's going to keep our souls awake for Christ? What's going to keep us wired for Christ? It's prayer. See, the Bible presents prayer in an exceedingly positive light. But so often in my own life, I know this, there's this difficult tension. Difficult tension with this thing, prayer, right? Because we live in a culture of radical independence. And because prayer is the epitome of dependence. Right, what is prayer? It's saying, God, I can't do it. God, I can't do it. So everything around me says, you can do it, man. You got this. That's what the culture is constantly flattering us with lies. You got this on your own. Prayer is saying, God, I've got nothing on my own. I can do no good apart from you. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. So we have these two things waging war on our minds. And so we often find ourselves praying because we're supposed to, not because we actually believe we need to. Prayer in the American church life is often relegated to, well, if we remember to pray, we probably should. 
But the Bible presents prayer so much differently. The Bible presents prayer as a divine recalibration, a resetting, a refocus. See, the world, and I would say including the Christian world, will scream at you with the things that you need to do. Hey, you need to make sure you're saving 10%. Hey, make sure your next move has the highest long-term potential. Hey, work hard to play hard. Hey, are you going to fail like your mom did? Hey, March Madness is here. Hey, you're pregnant again? Hey, you deserve more free time. Hey, make sure you look good. Hey, why aren't you getting a raise? Hey, why isn't your kid better behaved? Hey, shouldn't you lose a few? Hey, fight for power. Hey, you don't need anybody. Get stronger. And on and on and on and on and on and on the world goes. And suddenly, and rather subtly, we find ourselves asleep. Asleep. With Christ's return nowhere in our hearts, and the only thing we're doing is looking at ourselves in the mirror. But then there's prayer. There's prayer. In the midst of all the chaos and all the noise, in the midst of all the worldly cares, prayer resets our souls to simply say, God, I need you. God, will you carry me to the end? God, give me strength. God, satisfy my longings. Take my eyes off of these distractions and put them on you. You see, the world will attempt to saturate us by its offers. Satan himself, I've noticed this this week, of course, has been a very distracting week for me, like on a personal level. Very distracting. And so Satan, is, he is loving it. He's loving it. He'll do whatever he can to just get my mind out in left field. 30 minutes later, you pick up your mind and you'll realize, what have I been doing? What have I been doing? What is this? That is his entire goal. If he can't deceive you with an utter, obvious lie, he'll just get you off a little. And, and, and it maybe it's not Satan, it's just your own heart, right? We don't always need Satan's help to be off the mark, right? We just are so prone to wander off. But prayer keeps us in the center of God's will, preparing for the return of God's Son. This is our tactic to fight. This is our tactic to stand fast. And so as we think about Christ's instructions and as we think about all of Luke 21, we can say this, and this is our main idea today. Christ will certainly return. What a day it's going to be. Are we ready? Are we ready? Christ will certainly return. What a day it's going to be. Are we ready? So the simple thing I want to do uh, today as we finish our time in the Word is to encourage you this week uh, with three moments of prayer. If, if Jesus Christ himself, which is like sort of like the highest authority possible, <laughs> right, if, if Jesus Christ himself says that prayer is the best weapon for our preparation, then we should probably just stick to that. Not, I don't, you know, I want to be very simple with it. So I've given you, an, uh, just, uh, just to kind of make it accessible, uh, I've given you an idea Monday, Wednesday, and Friday this week uh, to pray specifically in this sort of way. Uh, and so you'll see at the bottom of your sermon notes, I've, given you, I've listed three scriptures for those days. And what I've, what's helped me so, so often is to, instead of just praying kind of like all of a sudden out of nowhere, I need to kind of get into a text so that it, it, it gets my mind in the proper frame. 
right? So I have the proper focus. So spending a few, just a few minutes really reading these texts through a couple times, three or four times, really helps you get into the, the tone of that text, the tone of that message. And from that passage, it, it rises up into prayer. So not, not just, uh, Lord, help me prepare for your return. It kind of just ends there, right? So what these texts do instead is they give us the content of our prayers. They give us the opportunity to, to know how to pray. Uh, and so that's, those are just three options there for you. I just wanted to make it very practical for those who are, are willing to do that. Um, and I was going to show you an example, but, I, but I'm not going to. I'll, I'll finish there. Um, my encouragement there is just to, is, as you see these scriptures, pray like these scriptures, and we're going to find our minds re-engaged and our hearts prepared for when he returns. Does that sound good? Make sense? Okay. Let, let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this passage. Thank you for the encouragement that it provides. Thank you for the even the hard things that it says. Lord, as this little church, we're, we're asking, Lord, that you would keep both the redemption and the judgment in the forefront of our minds. Lord, that for those of us who believe it is a glorious day, it is a glorious day, we await your redemption and we ask you to come. But Lord, as we think about the judgment that you are going to exact upon the world, the judgment that you promised, this is a prophecy, these are things that are going to happen. Our typical heart reaction is, Lord, that's not fair. But show us again and again your perfect, just, loving, redemptive character that cannot and will not turn a blind eye to human sin. And instead of us then forming our hands to point a finger, give us a burden for those who at this point right now are destined for judgment. Make us hungry and caring for the souls of those who are currently walking away from you. Give us a burden for those hearts. You've asked us to beware, to pay attention, to have a spiritual self-awareness. Keep us, Lord, from being obsessed with ourselves. Please, Lord, I know I need that. Do the sort of internal work, Lord, that leads to focusing on you, not focusing on myself. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this family. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your son who came already, came once, and he came in power. And we look for his coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me finish with, with this blessing here out of number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for coming today.